The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Mark 5. Mark 5, we press on in our series through Mark's Gospel, answering the question, who is this man? That's right, who is this man? Man, And that's really the question where we left off last week at the end of chapter four, right? The disciples there, after Jesus calmed the storm, they're like, who then is this? As they see the mighty hand of the Messiah right before them. Today, as we get into chapter five, we see Jesus' power over demonic forces. And I mentioned this last week, but today really is the the second example of Jesus' power over these unstoppable forces that exist in our world. Last week, it was Jesus' power over the weather or over storms. Today, over the spiritual realm or the demonic forces. And then next week, at the back end of chapter five, is Jesus' power over disease and even death. These four unstoppable forces that exist that we really are powerless against. But beloved, is Christ powerless against them? No, he's not. No, he's not. There's the message. We can all go home. Jesus has power. That's right. We can all go home. But today we look specifically here at the first 20 verses of chapter 5, and Jesus is going to demonstrate his power over the demonic forces. And just as we begin, I want to point out kind of two tendencies that exist when it comes to spiritual warfare. Two tendencies that exist when it comes to discussing uh, demonic forces. And there, there's two kind of things. There's one, there is uh, unwise ignorance. Just the, 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 the decision to ignore the reality that there is a spiritual realm out there. The, the decision to, to kind of stick our head in the sands uh, about the existence of demons and Satan and evil. But the other, if we swing the pendulum kind of the other side, the other tendency is to have an unwise or an unhealthy interest in them. To give the powers of our enemy too much credence to be concerned about their power and to be fixated on this realm that we do not live in. And so there's these two kind of tendencies. We can either ignore it or we can have too much interest in it. And both of those, Satan would love us to be in. We can't deny it, but we also don't need to be fixated on its existence or on their existence. He would be happy to devour us in either of those sides. See, 1 Peter 5, 8 really plainly sets before us Satan's purposes. Did you know that? 1 Peter 5, you can just listen uh, to it. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to read it for you briefly. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. There's two commands. Be sober-minded and be watchful. That really hits the nail on the head of our two tendencies, right? We need to be sober-minded when it comes to these things and not overly interested, and we also need to be watchful. We can't just have our heads stuck in the sand. And then he says this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Wanna know Satan and his minion's purpose? It's to devour, to destroy, to, to distort God's image in us and to destroy the works of God. But beloved, Jesus' power and purpose is greater than that. 
See, that's 1 Peter 5. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 tells us plainly also Jesus' purpose and power. He says, he says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came, that crushing blow, the decisive strike would come at the cross, beloved. But yet even, even before Calvary, Jesus here was demonstrating his strength over demons every time he encountered them. Already in Mark, Jesus has flexed his muscles in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan. He already showed who was boss. And in the Capernaum synagogue, when he was confronted by the unclean spirit or the demon there, he was flexing his muscles again. And now in chapter five, here's our nail. Jesus once again wields his strength over demonic forces. He once again here in chapter five wields his strength over demonic forces. And so turn there if you haven't or you've turned away from it. Let's go back to Mark five and I wanna read our passage for us this morning and then we will uh, get into it deeper. This is God's word now, Mark chapter five, beginning in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is God's word for God's people. Are you marveling? It's a sobering text, isn't it? 
but a glorious text as we see Jesus wielding his strength over these demonic forces. In the same way that Jesus calmed the stormy seas, he now dumps these demons into them, wielding his strength. How does he do it then? How does he wield his strength? Well, your first point there, these first eight verses, he wields his strength by his presence. By his presence. I, I love how this uh, picks up here. It says that, that, that they arrived there on the east side, well, in the region of the Gerasenes is what it says, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And so if you're familiar, just like if you have the sea, he's coming from Capernaum, which is kind of like on the northwest side, and he's coming over to the east side, about five miles across the lake to this region where there's a city of uh, now Cursa, and there's another, or Matthew says the, the Gadatarines, it's kind of a region over there that Jesus had this appointment through the storm to go meet. And so it's, it's, a, it's an area along the sea with some steep cliffs, and obviously they're farming there. But Jesus, as we saw, why was he going there? It's because he had an appointment to keep, right? Look at what, look at what it says, that he, 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 he stepped out of the boat, and what? Immediately, a man was there to meet him. See, Jesus was going through the storm uh, because he had an appointment to keep. And beloved, here's just kind of like a, a, a principle, and application here. If Jesus is leading you through the storm, there's something important on the other side, okay? Jesus has led you into it. It is, he will take you through it, and there's something important on the other side. But he has this appointment here with this unnamed demon-possessed man who says he has an unclean, Spirit, and he is dwelling among the tombs. And so in these big cliffs, there was, there was caves in them, and they may have like uh, hollowed them out some more, but that is where they would bury their people that had died in these cliffs, and now this man is dwelling among them. And look how Mark describes him with Herculean strength. He goes overboard to just describe how strong this man. Nobody could bind him, not even with a chain. He broke the shackles in pieces. Like, this is a picture of massive strength here. He is so strong, he, he, he is almost animalistic. Look, he says he's, he's crying out with, stone, or with, a, with, with a loud voice. Day and night he's crying out, and he is self-harming. He's cutting himself with stones. And there's lots of debate about what's happening here. Is it some sort of like pagan ritual? Is uh, the demon causing him to do this? Is he literally like destroying this man? Is he, is he just like trying to alleviate some of the pain? The, the, the pain of the torment that is happening within him that even to the point of he's trying to take his own life. But what is shown here, what is really juxtaposed here is this picture of this man that cannot be subdued uh, by any sort of human means. And then who shows up? Jesus does. Jesus does. It's almost like Mark is just putting here is this insanely strong man. And now Jesus shows up. And look at verse six, what it says. And then Jesus, he sees Jesus from afar. Like he's up on the cliffs. He sees Jesus coming. He knows who this is. And he runs and he falls down before him. Nobody could subdue this man except God alone. This isn't, a, this isn't an act of worship from this man. This is just, this is prostrate before the authority 
This is a man that has now been humbled and he falls before him in an attempt to gain control. There's this wrong belief uh, in those days that if you said the name of a God, you could gain control over him. And obviously this man is unsuccessful. But what does he call him? What does he say? He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And haven't we seen this throughout Mark? All along, the, the, the religious leaders, even his disciples, they, they don't really even fully understand who Jesus is yet. They call him teacher in the previous passage or, or rabbi, and yet when the demons show up, they know exactly who he is. He's the Holy One of God. He is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. They know exactly who he is, and we see here that Jesus is commanding him to come out. Just his very presence wields a strength that is beyond us. See, like in our own life, we, we try to get strong, right? And we go to the gym because we gotta work out, right? And we're trying to build, build some strength here. But Jesus is like the guy that's already jacked and that shows up to the gym. You're like, bro, why, why are you even showing up? You are already huge. Obviously, Jesus' strength is much greater than that, but he just shows up and puts this man in his place. Church, we are safe and protected in the presence of God. We are safe and protected in the presence of God. And Jesus manifests to present, God manifestly present through his spirit as we open up God's word as we worship him in spirit and in truth, as we pray unceasingly, praying to God, as we are sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, as we are engaged in these things, God, by his spirit, is at work, manifestly present for his glory, though not materially present, as if he's just standing next to us. But this is why David, as, as he has now uh, brought the Ark of the Covenant back in 1 Chronicles 16, as he's brought the covenant back among his people, and now his presence, God's presence is there back among the people of God. And in 1 Chronicles 16, he says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. And beloved, this is our pursuit in our own life. As we pursue God and we are safe and protected. You know, our children, sometimes if I were to ask like one of my kids to come up here on stage, they would feel uh, exposed, embarrassed. Probably one of them, one maybe not. <laughs> but they would be timid and afraid. Except if I was standing here and they were standing right here next to me, hugging my leg. There is no place where, they, where my kids are more brave and strong when they are standing right next to me. And it is the same in our own life. There's no place where you are more safe than in the presence of the Lord. Jesus wields his strength in, in, the, in the face of demonic activity and all kinds of things in the presence of the Lord. We are safe, we pursue it, we, we're afraid and exposed when we are on our own, but Jesus' presence changes everything. He goes on here, and he not only wields his strength over demonic forces by his presence, but also second, by his permission. 
the conversation is kind of funny here if you just kind of stand back and look at it. When I first read it, it was, uh, it was almost as if, you know, like the, the demon comes forward, he's like, hey, I know who you are. And now in verse nine, look, he, Jesus is like, but what's, but what's your name? You, know? you ever had that? Somebody comes up to you and like, hey, I know you, you're, you're uh, so-and-so's dad. Oh, hey, you work there. Oh, hey, you're the pastor of the church and they know everything about you. And you're like, well, what's, what's your name? You, know? you ever had that before? That only happened to me when I can't remember people's names. Surely Jesus knows who he's dealing with here. It's just, it's just funny to me. And so in verse, in verse nine, look, Jesus asks him, what is your name? And the name which he replies back, my name is Legion, for we are many, was really a picture of strength and would provoke fear in those that were hearing this. See, the, the, a legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers, and the people of Israel, the people of that region, they knew all too well the strength and power and might and force of a Roman legion. And so even in saying this name would provoke fear in the person hearing it. But now this mighty man with his mighty name is begging Jesus. Look at verse 10, he, Jesus asks his name and he says, and he begged him earnestly. And again in verse 12, and they begged him not to send him. The mighty man, now in front of the Lord most high, is all of a sudden on his knees. And they beg him, they beg him earnestly not to send him out. And then we're told that there's pigs in the area and he asks, send us to the pigs. When you read this, you're like, who in the world's farming pigs in Israel? Yeah, that's like, it's, it's a, they can't eat pork. It's not kosher. But then as you read it a little more, you're like, oh, it's, well, it's, uh, it's Roman occupied. It's a Gentile region here. And, uh, and so, of course, they were. That's what they were, you know, farming and feeding these, the Roman soldiers that were likely there, the, the non-Jewish people that lived there on the east side of Galilee. But this is a massive herd, right? This is a massive herd of pigs, and don't miss verse 13 here. And so they are begging Jesus, and what does he do? He gives them permission. Who's the one in control of this situation? Jesus is. Who's the one flexing his muscles? You know, these demons, they don't move without Jesus' permission. They are begging him, and then the, the, he gives them permission, and they, the spirits come and occupy the pigs, and they go, and they headlong over, and they're drowned at sea, and the spirits, as Luke says, they're cast into the abyss. You ever been around a bunch of pigs before? They're kind of crazy, and they've been all stirred up. I mean, I've never been around 2,000 pigs, but I've been around big herds, and they kind of get crazy-eyed, and they all get stirred, and they stampede, and they are like wrecking balls. You just see them, the, the noise as they're oinking and squealing and over the cliff and down into the abyss. Imagine being there. Imagine the commotion. Imagine that and now seeing the man whom they've just come out of. But these pigs or these spirits don't move apart from the permission of the master. See, demonic forces are on a leash. They are on a leash, wild and dangerous, yes, but limited in their range and ability. They don't move, even now, apart from where God says they can go. They are only allowed to move under the supervision of God for his purposes, and beloved, here's the hope that they will soon be crushed under our feet, as Romans 16, 20 promises. They aren't able to move, but church, we are safe under the sovereign hand of God, aren't we? 
We are safe under the sovereign hand of God. We are protected by the occupying presence of the Holy Spirit in us as we who believe. See, here's a, a truth that we can latch onto. Nothing in your life happens without Jesus' permission. Even the worst of circumstances, he is working out for our good and his glory. If he can deliver this man from unthinkable torment, he can also deliver you. He can transform you. He can work his strength in you. Beloved, God has complete control over all things in this earth and beyond the earth. You're safe. You are safe under the sovereign hand of God. Jesus flexes his muscles, wields his strength by giving permission. And lastly here, by his commission, his commission. The final way he wields his strength, look how this passage ends. By commissioning the man whom has now been redeemed. Look at, like the story goes on, the herdsmen flee. Like imagine they're, they're, they're out here just like kind of, you know, they're not really shepherds because that's more for sheep. They're herdsmen. They're just trying to keep the pigs from jumping over the cliff. Well, that didn't work out so well. And so now all this has happened. And so they run in, but imagine the story that they have to go back and tell in the, in the town, right? Like, we just lost all of our pigs. You know, the man that's like crazy out there that lives among the tombs and, you know, is, is always howling and he's naked and everything. Like, yeah, now that's not happening anymore. Look at how verse 15 describes this transformation. They came to Jesus. Now he, they tell the story. They all rush out. They come to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, and now he's sitting there, not pacing about, not roaring about. He's now sitting there, and he has clothes on. That's a good improvement. And he's in his right mind. And now, they're still afraid. They were afraid of him when he had this Herculean strength. And now they are afraid because they just cannot understand what in the world just happened. And beloved, this, verse 15 here is just, isn't it a great description of our own transformation when we come to Christ? See, you, you, your own transformation, maybe you didn't come from this kind of unthinkable torment with an unclean spirit, but when we come to Christ, things change in our life. How we speak, how we act, all of that changes. It's a, it's a fruit of the work that God has done in our heart. This is, this, is, this is a glorious transformation. This is something like unbelievable. You ever had this happen? Like when you came to Christ, did those that knew you previous, were they in disbelief? Maybe even afraid? Like I knew you when you were wild. And now what has happened to you? Some can't even believe it. Yeah? Ever experienced that in your own life? Some can't even believe it. They can't, they're afraid. They're, they, this is too much for them. It's too radical. They knew his past. They knew his hurt. They knew the destruction that he had behind him. Some of them were probably still wounded, maybe physically, maybe, maybe you know, emotionally, whatever. They, he, he caused all kinds of destruction among those people. And now, even in, the, in this transformation, now he has caused massive financial loss for this region. Not just for the man that owned the pigs. Now that, that's a big hit. No matter what era you live in, 2,000 pigs, that's a massive financial hit. But in that region, this was, this was food. This, this is what, how they uh, were going to survive. 
So no wonder the townspeople now, they're, they're begging him to move on. So when Jesus comes, things happen, don't they? The locals are begging him to leave, and the changed man is now begging to go with Jesus. You see that? There's a lot of begging to happen in this passage. He's getting into the boat, he's leaving. The man who's possessed with demons, they beg him that he might be with him. But in verse 19 here, Jesus again, because he's the one who gives permission or denies permission, says, you can't, you can't go with me. And actually what he likely does is commissions the first Gentile missionary to the Decapolis, to the 10 cities. That's what Decapolis means. You can look it up. There's a whole bunch of names that are hard to pronounce uh, that were in that region and, uh, and they just formed like the 10 cities. You know, you've maybe in, lived in other regions or it's the Quad Cities or the Twin Cities. And so similar thing here. Deca, Ten, Opolis, City, Ten Cities. And so now he is commissioned. Look what his message is. Look what he's to tell. God at work. Go home to your friends. Verse 19 says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he does that very thing, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What's his message? God at work. What's his message? God has had mercy on me. What's God done in your life? You have a story like this to tell? God at work, whether when you, uh, the, the moment you were saved or the, how God is continually at work. See, the story of God at work is not just one of past at, at the moment of our regeneration or when we're saved, but uh, beloved, as we continue to grow in the Lord, God is continually at work in us, isn't he? I mean, this is what we've seen in the parables and his teaching, like we continue to grow in the Lord. That's a story of God at work. That's a story of daily, consistent, constant mercy towards you. And this is the story that we are commissioned to tell. This is the story that he was told to go. This is the most powerful story that you can tell. See, beloved, we are a commissioned people. We are saved, and then we are sent. And church, we are safe when we go and tell. We are safe when we go and tell. We are uh, uh, safe when we are sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. We are safe when we are on mission, when we are living to fulfill the great commission, are we not? This is when Jesus promised, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the great commission, right? Go over to Matthew 28. Just turn over there, it's just a few pages uh, to your left. Matthew 28, verse 18, this is what we refer to. This is why we exist as a church, right? This is why we exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And Jesus, as he is leaving, he commissions his disciples in this. We see echoes of it in our passage as he is commissioning the unnamed, now delivered, demon-possessed man. But Jesus, this is Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You want the promise of Jesus' presence? You want Jesus' nearness and the safety and the courage and encouragement and instruction that that brings? 
be about the Great Commission. Circle those verses, highlight them, whatever you need to do, and you write in there, this is why I exist. This is why my church exists. You write, write that in your Bible so you do not forget. This is why we live. But see, beloved, we, Jesus goes with us and we are safe. We are safe as we are sent. And let me just point out here, this is how we participate in the fight against demonic forces. This is how we shine a light in the darkness as we are commissioned. This is the best tactic. This is how Jesus has mobilized his people to shine light in the darkness. This is how he has sent us out with a story to tell how much the Lord has done for me and the mercy that he has shown to each of us. We've been commissioned to go and tell that message. That's how we participate. Not through all the things that you see in the weird movies, the exorcists, and all of that stuff. That is not how we fight against spiritual forces. We fight with the power of the gospel. We fight with the story of God at work in my life and what Christ has done on the cross and showing me unbelievable mercy to me who didn't deserve it. To you who didn't deserve it to this man who didn't deserve it. But Jesus saw this man unbelievably tormented and he took his people through a storm because he had an appointment to deliver a man on the other side. And from there, that man is now commissioned to tell a story in this region, even as Jesus departs now and will go continue in another ministry because he has some more appointments in the verses that come. Beloved, we have a story to tell of God at work in your own life and the work of our church. We've, you, you probably came in and you maybe saw those bookmarks that look like this. Put them on there. They might be under your leg right now. You have to kind of slide it out. Let these just be a tool. This isn't the gospel per se, but let this be a tool. Take, you have some right next to you. We have tons more out at the connection table. Ushers have some in the back there. Let these just be a tool to tell the story of what God is doing in your life, in the life of the people of your church. It was awesome this morning as we drove into church and my son saw someone that was out working. He said, Dad, that's the guy who got baptized. Because he was here and he remembered, he heard the story of, of, of what, how, how that man had told the story of God at work and the mercy towards him. Praise God for that. Praise God. And so as God is at work in, in my son's life, he knows that God has been at work in him. Let these things be a tool to bring people. Who can I give them to? Take five, take 10, who, whoever you can, as God has commissioned you to go and tell the story of what God has done. See, as we close out, look at, look at this. If you tell Jesus to leave, he will. The locals begged him, said, go. We don't, we don't want you to be here. And Jesus, he, he, he does. Or you can take up his offer of salvation and you can be sent completely changed with a story to tell over and over of what God has done. And every time you do, Jesus will be showing off his strength that he might be glorified and he might be worshiped as the most high God. Let's pray now and worship him.